in the New King James Version. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from my, before my eyes. Cease to be evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good, excuse me, you shall eat the good of the lamb, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You may or may not recognize the family on the screen. This is the Tui family. And you may more readily recognize the story of the Tui family in the fact that the tallest one in the middle is their adopted son, Michael Orr. If you are familiar with uh, movies of the last five, six, seven, eight years, you would recognize that this family is the family that's featured in the movie, The Blind Side. And if you've never seen it, I would recommend that you get perhaps a video filter, but uh, that you watch it because it's a very, very inspiring story about how this family uh, came to know and came to adopt this son, Michael Orr, in their family. And Michael Orr, who became a uh, tackle for both the Baltimore Ravens, for the Tennessee Titans, and the Carolina Panthers, and was all acclaimed for guarding the quarterback's blind side, but how he blindsided this family in, uh, in their uh, complacency. And Leanne Tui, the mother of this family, said the entire story started off with two words. She said as they were traveling on, down the road on that cold November rainy day, they saw Michael walking alongside the road with just shorts and a t-shirt. He didn't look like he was going anywhere. And so she said two words to her husband that changed her life and changed their life. The two words were, turn around, turn around. Brothers and sisters, we serve a God who chooses to bless our lives but who calls us and invites us to turn around. And I want to look at that phrase just for a moment, not from that aspect, the words turn around. God doesn't necessarily say those things in the pages of inspired scripture, but what God does say is something that's equivalent to that. I want you to change your life. The word we might readily recognize is repent. Repent. It is and may be the hardest command in all the Bible to repent. What repentance really involves is three things. It is a change in your heart. Turn your hearts towards the Lord. Turn your attitudes. Change the way you feel about what you're doing, about the sin that you're committing. Change your attitude towards it. And look at the attitude that God has towards it. It's a change in heart. The second aspect of repentance is a change of mind. God wants us to change our thinking with regard to our sins, not just our attitude, but how we view what it is that we're doing that's opposed to God and opposed to his nature and the things that he doesn't want us to do. We change our hearts, we change our minds, and then we let that change our lives. That's the third aspect of repentance, where we actually go and with a renewed attitude with a renewed thinking now we turn and we turn around from our sinful behavior and sinful thinking and we begin going the way that God wants us to go God says turn around 
There is a message in which all of us, every single one of us, need to repent and need to change because we're all not what we ought to be. Paul would say in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3 verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is a sense in which each one of us have things that we need to turn around, we need to repent of. And I want you to think about that, not from the aspect of you're not doing what's right, do this. But I want you to think about it from the aspect of God's wonderful call to repentance. God's wonderful call to repentance. You see, Paul would say in Romans chapter 2 that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. What does that mean? It means God in his wonderful character and his wonderful nature and the way that he is with us is something that ought to be the catalyst for each one of us to look at our lives and say, you know what, I don't want to go and do those sinful things anymore. I want to turn my heart and my mind and I want to turn to the way that God wants me to live. The goodness of God leads you to repentance, to turning around in your life. I want to look at the wonderful call of God to tell us to turn around in our lives and what makes that call so wonderful about how God gives us the occasion and, and how God delivers that message? And I want you to look at that from Isaiah chapter 1, the passage Nolan read for us just a few moments ago. If you'll note verse 18 and 19 especially, these are the verses on which we want to hinge our lesson because God issues an invitation to, well not to everybody at this point, he issues it to a rebellious nation known as Judah. And Judah had a knowledge of God. Judah were the people of God, and yet they continued down a path of immorality, corruption, uh, oppression of the poor, all those things that you read there in, uh, excuse me, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, all of those condemnations Isaiah makes of those people. But here's God's wonderful call, verses 18 and 19. God says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as, uh, white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What a wonderful call to a people who so, who so badly needed to turn around. What makes the call of God based upon these verses so wonderful for us today? Seven things about the wonderful call of God. Number one, it is wonderful that God offers an invitation at all. It's wonderful that God offers an invitation at all. We sometimes feel like we deserve it, don't we? We sometimes feel like we deserve what God's blessings, well, we deserve God's blessings to be poured out on us. I deserve it, God. Look at how good I've been. When in reality, we're just like Judah. We may have a knowledge of God, but we so badly need to repent in some aspects and areas of our lives. You see, God's wonderful nature shows that we are made enemies of God by our sins. James chapter 4, verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? There's a sense in which all of us have become a friend of the world by our sins and by our choices to do what's rebellious in God's sight. We're all under penalty of death. 
Romans 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God through, uh, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the only thing that our sin is ever going to pay is death. There's not an occasion that all of us, that any of us can stand and say, God, I've done enough good deeds to, to make up for our sin. No, in fact, the penalty for that sin is wrath. See, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about what God made us through Jesus Christ. He said, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were, did you catch that? Dead in our trespasses and sins. In which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. We were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. What God's justice shows is that we are children of wrath, that we deserve God's wrath and not his mercy at all. And what we understand is God is right in his judgment of us. You see, God is fair. God is honest as a judge. And there's no occasion where somebody can look at God and say, God, your judgment of me is not fair. You know, he is the judge of all the earth. Genesis 18, verse 25, he is the one who is able to sit righteously and point his finger and say, you are guilty under the eyes of the law. You know what? God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't look at us and say, well, I guess he's been good enough. I'm just going to bless him in this way. The fact is, brothers and sisters, that we are all under the penalty of wrath. But I get to a passage like Psalm 8. Where the psalmist is talking about the stars of the sky and looking at those, those things up on his rooftop, perhaps in the old Jerusalem in, in the evening. And he says, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the, the, the moon, the stars, all the things that your fingers have done, he says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you visit him? You have made him just a little lower than the angels. The psalmist asking by inspiration, God, you see all the beauty around us and all the wonderful things that God has done and all of his wonderful nature. And he looks at man and he says, why have you placed man in this position? Why have you looked at man and offered him your favor? The answer, brothers and sisters, is in a song we sing. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, this I know. God loves us. And it's wonderful that God offers an invitation at all. Number two, number two, it is wonderful that God offers an invitation to all. God offers an invitation to all. Realize this, God extends this invitation to all ages. I bring this attention to your attention, Romans chapter 7 and verse 9, one of the best verses to talk about the age of accountability and Paul saying that I once was alive without law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. What Paul is saying there is there's a time that in my life when I didn't have any knowledge of what God, God's law did. I didn't have any knowledge or really understanding about how my sin hurt God. But just as soon as I had that understanding, there was a sense in which I was under penalty of death. And if I am of the accountable age, God's invitation is open to me if I'm of the mental capacity that I can understand what my sin does and how it hurts God I'm accountable that means God's invitation is open to me 
Understand that God's invitation is open to all nations. Matthew 28, verse 19, one of the last things Jesus did here physically, bodily on this earth, was issue the great invitation, the great commission, as we read in Matthew 28, 19. Go, make disciples of all nations. Our responsibility is not to look on one ethnic people or another or one cultural people or another and say, well, these people are not worthy of the gospel. God's invitation, God's wonderful invitation to turn around, to repent, is open to everybody. God's invitation is open to all classes, to all genders. We could add as well to here in Galatians chapter 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither uh, slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. If you are Abraham's seed, then you're heirs according to the promise, Galatians 3, 28 and 29. Everybody stands on equal footing at the grounds of the cross. God extends its invitation to all time periods, all eras. As long as the Lord allows the earth to stand, isn't it wonderful the fact that the gospel is still able to make Christians today? I'm told that there were some palm date seeds that were found not too many years ago, I think 2014, 2015, and they carbon dated them and discovered these little palm date seeds were about 2,000 years old, like from the time of Christ. And the person that found them took them and said, I'm not expecting much, planted them in the ground. You know what happened? They had all these little palm date uh, uh, plants that began to grow. 2,000-year-old seeds, can you imagine how long that seed sat dormant and how long that seed sat idle, but just as soon as that seed was put in the right conditions, put in the right soil with the right kind of nourishment, out popped a plant. Brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 8 that the seed is the word of God. You know what? If Christianity went dormant for 2,000 more years, the Lord allows it to, uh, to happen, and somebody found a Bible one day, and picked it up and said, I want to just do just what's in this word. I don't want to do any more. I don't want to do any less. You know what that would produce? That would produce a New Testament Christian. Because the seed of God is still powerful. Isn't it wonderful that our God enables all of us to turn to him. To turn around from our old sinful thinking and to turn to him. And um, to accept the invitation of Jesus in Matthew 11 verse 28 through 30. Where Jesus says, come to me all you who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. What a wonderful invitation our Lord offers. The wonderful call of God. Turn around. Number three, it is wonderful that God will be reasonable with all. God will be reasonable with all. Isaiah 1 verse 18, what's the first thing God says after come now, let us reason together. Well, let us reason together. Let's talk about it. Let's sit down across the table, as we might say, with somebody that we're having a disagreement with. Let's sit down with a cup of coffee and let's just talk about what's going on. Let's get all the things out in the open. Let's talk about my position and your position. Let's understand each other. Let's figure things out. I appreciate a good, reasonable person, don't you? The older I get... Jeff, uh, Jeff Knuckles and I were talking uh, this morning in the sound room just a little bit about uh, the issues that he's facing at work. He says, you know, there's a lot of people these days that are just looking for a vent. They're, they're not willing to be reasonable, but they're just, <laughs> they don't mind going off on a, uh, on a poor unsuspecting employee there at the academy. 
There's a lot of people that are behaving unreasonably, but our God's wonderful call is, I will be reasonable with you. I will help you understand. And you know what? As you open the Bible with somebody, as you share God's message for their lives, and you start visiting with them about their soul, and you show them exactly what God wants them to do, you're going to have a variety of reactions that come out of that. Which causes me to think about my reaction to the Word of God. When God's Word is brought out, and whenever it tells me that I need to turn around about something, how do I react? Some people get mad. That's just the truth of the matter. You open God's Word and you show them what it says, and there's going to be some people that are going to get mad. Acts chapter 7, I don't know if I've ever had it this bad, but Acts chapter 7, you have Stephen concluding a sermon to these Jews on this occasion where he tells them, listen, you're always stiff-necked, you're always hard-hearted, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit, and those Jews on that occasion, because they didn't have the right reaction towards God and toward his word, you know what they did? They gnashed at him with their teeth, they closed up their ears, and they ran to pick up stones and stoned Stephen to death. They were not willing to let the word change their hearts. They were not willing to accept the reasonable call of God to turn around the wonderful call of God. Some people you're going to encounter that get mad. Some people you're going to encounter want to get away. I want to get away. Jesus, after preaching and teaching there in John chapter 6 about being the bread of life, And unless somebody comes along and eats Christ's uh, body and drinks his blood, they have no part with him. There were a whole lot of disciples on that occasion that said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand this? And they followed him no more. You remember Paul preaching the Roman governor, Acts chapter 24. And he heard the word and he feared the word. But at the same time, he he said, Paul, get away. I'm going to call for you at a more convenient time. I don't want you around me right now. Some people get away. They don't want to hear it. And so they're going to turn their ears away from the truth. Some people you're going to find will get distracted. Some people, when God tells them you need to turn around, you need to repent, you need to change your life. And brothers and sisters, this is not just about people in the world. This is about church people sometimes. We'll, instead of doing those things, we'll try and get distracted. We'll try and get busy doing other things as if those things will make up for the fact that we haven't dealt with this glaring issue in our lives that God has said, this is something reasonable that you change. Some people, it'll get busy. And they'll get busy in church work. They'll get busy in sports or activities. They'll get busy in hobbies. They'll get busy in recreation. They'll get busy in their work. When what they really need to do is heed the reasonable call of God and change those things in their life instead of getting distracted by other things. But the devil is a master at throwing up things that are distractions for us, isn't he? Some people will get distracted and begin to do other things. There are some people that will get right. However, Acts 2, verse 37 and 38 After Peter preaches to those men who crucified Jesus and he talked to them about their sins and said, these are the things that need to change, they were cut to the heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter preached a very reasonable sermon based upon a very reasonable God and his invitation to offer mercy upon those people that had killed his son just days earlier. What a wonderful God we serve. 
Remember, it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Romans chapter 2 and verse 10. It is wonderful that God's message is simple for all. God's message is simple for all. Come now, let's reason together, Isaiah 1 verse 18. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you'll note the next part of that context, he says if you rebel, if you continue to be disobedient, you shall perish. But if you obey, if you submit, if you listen, if you pay attention to me, you shall eat of the good of the land. God says in his reasonable message, here's what I want of you. And it's plain. It's clear to see. Brothers and sisters, realize that there are some things that are hard to be understood about the Bible. Peter admits that, especially talking about some of the writings of Paul. I would say a hearty amen to that. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, he says, there are some people who take the writings of Paul and they twist them to their own destruction because they don't have an understanding. But when we talk about God's plan of salvation, what God wants for each one of you and me, it's simple. And yet there's some people that will not accept it. What does God want me to do? What's God's message for me to turn around and to change my life and to change the way that I think about sin and about who God is? God wants us to respond and trust to the message of Christ. That's the simple version of that, is that God wants us to respond and trust to the message of Christ. On that occasion, we mentioned just a moment ago from Acts chapter 2, those uh, Jews on that occasion said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children, to all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. There wasn't an occasion that we read about on that that day where those people said, now wait a minute, Peter, what do you mean by be baptized? Wait a minute, Peter, what do you mean exactly by repent? I'm sorry, Peter, your message is just, it's getting convoluted. Instead, what they did was they accepted the message in trust, they obeyed the gospel, and they became New Testament Christians and were added to the church, Acts 2.42, Acts 2.47, and that was the result on that occasion. Simple. You think that same message still applies today? Has it changed in 2,000 years? The answer is no, it has not. The same solution for those Jews on that occasion is the same solution for you and me today. God wants us to respond in simple trust and putting our faith in Christ for our salvation and in doing and obeying the gospel as he said. What does God want from us after that? God wants us to love our Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, depending on which (laughs) which passage you're reading. Love God with all your all. Everything I want to do, I want to do to his glory. Am I going to fail? Yes, absolutely. But that's going to be my aim. That's going to be my goal. God wants me to love my neighbor as myself. Is that hard? You bet. Is that simple to understand? You bet. God wants me to pursue peace with all men. Pursue peace with all men. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12 verse 14. And so 
walking in integrity, as he talks about there in the same passage, Isaiah 1.16, uh, don't, uh, dealing honest with people, uh, treating people with kindness and, and not, not uh, pressing a poor, doing all of those things and walking uprightly in integrity, Psalm 15. Are those things simple to understand? The answer is yes. However, the warning is, in God's simplicity, I don't have an excuse to say, God, I'm not sure what you wanted of me. God, I'm not sure how you wanted me conduct myself as a Christian. That's not up for dispute. And that's nothing that I'm going to be able to stand before God on the judgment day and say, God, your word was unclear of me how you wanted me to conduct myself and behave as one of your children. God, in his wonderful call to turn around, gives us the terms of how he wants us to behave and how he wants us to conduct ourselves. And it's your job and it's my job to make our lives right. Number next, God's simple message leaves us with no excuses. It is wonderful that God's solution will work for all. I was trying to remember this morning, and I wish I'd had uh, a little bit more forethought to think about it, but who was the guy that did, uh, you don't have to answer, but I'm trying to remember, who the guy was that did the OxyClean commercials? You remember when those OxyClean commercials started coming out, he'd spill and pour all kinds of different things on the fabric and say, who could get this out? I don't know. And then he'd dip it in the OxyClean, and boom, it was gone. (laughs) That's the offer of God. Spiritually speaking, Isaiah 1, verses 19, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Had to think this morning as I was about to open that packet for the Lord's Supper. Man, I hope I don't spill this fruit of the vine on my pants. (laughs) That would be a miserable stain to try and get out of a wool suit. Especially standing up here in front of you all. I'm glad that I didn't. But you understand that there is a cost involved whenever you've got a stain that you can't get out. God says, I can get that out. God says, the blood that I offer can get that out. And the truth of the matter is, is the things that we look at and say, you know what, that's not such a big deal. God views it as a big deal. God views all sin as a very big deal. In fact, so much that he commands Christians, let love be without without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Stay away from, shun it, get away from it. View it as distasteful what is evil and cling to what's good, Romans 12, verse 9. And every sin that we commit, every sin that we hold on to and feel like I can't live without this, God says you've got to forsake that. You've got to turn away from that. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. In the old King James, Romans 6 verse 1, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? As we are raised to walk in newness of life, as we are given new life through Christ Jesus, what God wants us to do more than anything else is to leave that sin behind and pursue those things we talked about in the previous point. Loving God with all our heart and soul and mind, loving our neighbor as ourselves, walking in integrity, treating one another as they deserve, and and pursuing peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. God's invitation and solution will work if we bring the garment, as it were, to him. 
he will forgive. He will cleanse us from all sin. I've met people in my life that have looked at me and said, Andy, I can't be forgiven of the things that I've done. I feel like I have messed up so badly. I feel that my sin stains are so deep that there is no possible way that God could look at me and say, I forgive that. But the truth is that anything, anything I'm willing to bring to his throne, anything that I'm willing to in humility bring to him and say, God, look at this mess I've made. I'm so ashamed. I'm so upset that this is what's been caused in my life. God says, I can get that clean. I can make your life clean. What a beautiful promise and what a wonderful God we serve. It is wonderful that God does so much more than just to forgive all. Should be number six if I'm counting correctly. It's wonderful that God does so much more than to forgive all. Forgiveness would be wonderful. Forgiveness is wonderful. But it doesn't stop there. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Because it's not just about forgiveness of our sins. It's about being adopted into his family just like Michael Orr was adopted into the Tui family. It's about making us sons when we were children of wrath. And God taking us and giving us the spirit of adoption, Galatians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. It's not about that. It's also about him comforting with us with his comfort. And the ability that we have to comfort one another with the same comfort with which God comforts us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and following. God offers us comfort. We give that comfort to one another. But it's not just that. It's the fact that God allows us access to him anytime, not timidly, but Ephesians, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4 talks about us, let us boldly come before his throne, the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But it's not just that. It's the fact that we also have this hope for the future. That no matter how bad things get here on this earth, as we talked about in the last two lessons from uh, Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. But it's a fact that with God, the best is yet to be and that we have this promise of heaven that no matter how dark things get here on this earth, the more and the older we get, our hope more ought to be set there. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. But not just that. It's the fact that he... And his family care for us and provide for us. As we have opportunity, let's do good unto all, but especially, especially those of the household of faith. Brothers and sisters, have you been recipients of the goodness of God as seen through his Christian family? Have you been recipients of some blessing from the people that sit in this room or perhaps the people that are watching on live stream. That's one of the blessings of being in Christ. That's one of the blessings of heeding God's wonderful call to turn around, to change our lives because that's what he wants of us. Isn't it wonderful that the goodness of God leads us to turn around, to repentance? 
It is wonderful that God does so much more than to forgive all. His word is always there for our good. Last point. Isn't it wonderful that God is patient after all? Judah, we're back to Isaiah chapter 1. Judah had been following idolatry for a long time. God had already sent prophets to them to say, Judah, you need to turn around. Judah, stop going the direction that you're going. Judah, this is the place where it's going to lead. It's going to lead to your destruction. Judah, stop it. Stop heeding those those false gods, those, those idols that are deaf and dumb who are not able to speak and certainly not able to deliver themselves and not able to deliver you. Stop following those things. Turn around. Come, let's reason together, says the Lord. God issues that call. And as God issued that call to Judah... You know how long it was after this initial call that God allowed Judah to exist as a nation until he finally, finally had had the last straw? It was another 150 years. Patience of God, the long-suffering of God. It is evident that he wanted and loved Judah and didn't want to see their destruction. Brothers and sisters, as I consider the New Testament and I read through the pages and understand that God's word is there so that I can make the changes and you can make the changes that are so needed in our lives, it is evident with you and me that God doesn't want anybody to go to destruction. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. You know what time really is? Time is evidence of God's long-suffering with us. Time is evidence that God wants you to get right with him, that God wants you to turn around. And the time that you have, the minutes that are ticking by, and you may say they're ticking kind of slow right now, the minutes you have that God has given you are times that God says, now is the time that you need to make your life right. Now is the time that you need to repent. Now is the time you need to get right with me. God is patient. God's patient with all mankind, God is patient with us as his people. Jesus, in Revelation 2, verse 3, has John write seven letters to seven different churches. Out of those seven churches, Jesus tells John to write to five of them that they need to turn around, that they need to repent. Five out of seven of those churches were not doing what was right. And every single one of them, the word that's given in Revelation 2 and, verse, uh, 2 and 3 is Jesus saying, Church, I don't want to take your lampstand away. Church, I don't want you to lose your salvation. Church, I don't want you to, uh, to go down that road. And the fact that he has John write this letter to these churches is evidence that he loves them and that he is patient with them and that he can't wait for them to do what's right. Jesus was not like, Jesus was not like the, uh, like the old man with the spider hanging over the, the, the barrel of fire and just waiting to cut the, cut the line. Jesus wanted them to do what was right because he loved them and because they were his church. His word is simply evidence for us, brothers and sisters, that God wants us to turn our hearts and turn our minds and turn our lives and change so that we can be more godly. Christ-like, that we can have our hearts turned 
so that he can change our lives and he can change our hearts. Consider the goodness of God that leads you and me to repentance. What a wonderful passage Isaiah chapter 1 verses 18 and following is. I'm told there was a story about a king who had trouble with rebels And there were people who led a rebellion in his kingdom, and the king had finally conquered them. And the band of rebels that uh, they caught, they brought to the king. And and as those rebels came in presence of the king, they began to bow down and cower and plead for their lives and cry out and say, Mercy, O king, give us mercy. And you know what the king did? The king looked at all those rebels who were cowering around him and said, I pardon all of you. One of the advisors of the king turned to him and said, your majesty, didn't you say that all rebels were going to be killed, that were going to be executed? The king said, yes, I did say that. But as I look around at these band of men, I don't see any rebels. Isn't it true, brothers and sisters, that as we come to God in humility and we bow down before the king and say, mercy, O God, Have mercy upon me. God, I have done that which is displeasing in your sight. Cleanse me, O God. Change my life from the inside out. If we have already the cleansing blood of Jesus in our lives, as we come to God in humility, he says, I pardon you. I cleanse you. What a wonderful promise. But for any who don't have the blood of Christ cleansing them, who have never put their trust in Jesus and obeyed the gospel and understanding that they were baptized for the forgiveness of sins, raised to walk in newness of life, those people, you who are at without, are still walking in darkness according to what the Bible says. You are still walking as an enemy of God according to what the Bible says. And what God is saying to you today through his word, through his messenger, is that you need to repent. You need to turn around. You need to change your life with regard to what God says. If we can help you as a church family to do that, if we can help you in understanding the way that the Bible's put together and help you understand the word, we would love nothing better. There are people this morning who will sit down with you and study with you and help you and and, and open up the Bible and just let the Bible speak, let God's word speak. Because it's that important. And that's what our God wants of us. God's wonderful call to each one of us. Turn around. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.